Good evening. Please be seated. John's Gospel, chapter 19 this evening, Sunday night through the Bible, uh, Genesis to Revelation. Just a reminder as we're turning there, we announced this morning uh, the next trip to Israel that is planned is in uh, fall of next year. Brochures related to that are out uh, at the information counter and the literature racks that are uh, located there. John chapter 19, and so Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Jesus, as we've seen the last couple of weeks, is on the morning of his crucifixion. He has already endured the two uh, trials at the hands, uh, religious trials at the hands of the Jewish religious leaders. Now he is coming near to the end of the trial or the examination by uh, the Gentile uh, ruler who represents the Gentile world, so to speak, in uh, Pilate. Uh, Pilate has repeatedly brought Jesus out before the Jews, declaring that he can find no fault in him, and uh, rather than doing the right thing and calling the whole thing off and the whole thing a farce as he ought to have, he uh, keeps trying to placate people that cannot be uh, placated. And so he orders Jesus to be scourged. Luke's gospel makes it very clear that he did this in an attempt to uh, compromise, hoping that in scourging Jesus uh, with the, the, the whips and the, the brutalness of that, that somehow it would, uh, the crowd or the Jewish religious leaders would be satisfied with this limited shedding of his blood and uh, not be demanding uh, his, his death and his crucifixion. Uh, Luke informs us that Pilate said, I'll punish him and release him, uh, which lets us know that, uh, makes it appear that he, uh, 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 this was an attempt on his part to convince the Jews that Jesus had been uh, punished enough, whatever the, the crime, so-called crime that they had brought against him and uh, probably hoping that with the scourging it would kind of elicit some kind of compassion uh, out of them for Jesus himself and a desire for his, his release. Uh, the scourging, if anything could do it, it, uh, it produced this compassion uh, and, and break the Jewish religious leaders out of this uh, trans, uh, this transfixiation that they had upon upon his death, it would have been uh, by a scourging. It was a brutal, brutal examination uh, under Rome in the ancient world. They would whip the uh, the offender or the accused rather uh, with a cat of nine tails. There would be glass. There would be uh, pottery. There would be pieces of metal that would be attached to. Um, to those uh, different tails on, on the whip and all of it done for the purpose of tearing the flesh and uh, far worse than uh, the beating that Jesus had taken at the hands of the Jews earlier in the morning with rods. They would uh, take uh, the uh, accused and uh, strip him of, of his robe or any garments upon his upper body. He would then be bent over a stone and stretched out so that his flesh was stretched out and then they would begin to meet out uh, these, uh, these uh, stripes until 
the officer who was in charge would give the signal uh, to stop. It was the the cause of the death of many, many accused uh, long before they ever got to the cross. They would die uh, in in that place of, of the scourging. The Jewish historian Josephus, who was uh, kind of turned traitor, no doubt about it, turned traitor to uh, the Romans, he'd seen many scourgings, and he wrote of scourging so severe that veins, arteries, bone, and even their vital organs were exposed as a result through the tearing of the flesh uh, in the lower back. Kidneys would be exposed or the lashes wrapping around the body to the abdomen, yanking the tails uh, of the whip back and progressively tearing the person open, not only on the back, but also around uh, onto their uh, abdomen. When they would meet out this uh, scourging, the Romans would do it for the purpose of producing a confession uh, of crime or wrongdoing on the part of, uh, of the, the accused. And so it constituted uh, an examination. They used it to clear up unsolved crimes. And they would tell the person that if you will confess any further crimes uh, than the one you've been found guilty of uh, or you're accused of, then we will, it'll be fewer lashes and the lashes will be easier that will be meted out uh, upon you. Uh, but if you fail to, accuse, uh, to uh, uh, confess anything deeper, then the, the lashes would become progressively harder. Of course, Jesus had no sin to confess, not merely no crime to confess. He had no sin to confess. He had no means within the realm of honesty to be able to uh, bring the, these lashes that were being going to be brought down upon him to be any less. And, and so the, progressively they would become harder and harder and he endured the full brutality of the scourging. And, and uh, Isaiah wrote of it 750 years before it occurred prophetically. In Isaiah chapter 53, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. And yet he opened not his mouth and he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent so he opened not his uh, mouth, even under the cruelty uh, of the flogging and the scourging. Um, you can, they say that, and I have no reason to doubt it at all, but you can break anybody. You can get them to cry uncle, you can get them to confess what they've never done. You can do that to anyone. And so here is uh, Jesus, you think about uh, this, his, his physical strength, his moral strength, his, uh, his spiritual strength here. He endures all of it without a single peep. His stripes were prophesied again of by Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6, speaking of the coming Messiah, I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. Isaiah 53 verse 5, but he, speaking of the Messiah, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are uh, healed. And so we see um, what is happening is, is Jesus had said, 
uh, to Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane when he tried to uh, protect him from the arrest. Uh, everything is under control here. Don't you think, realize I have to do what uh, my father has called me to do? And so as brutal as it is uh, outwardly, all of it was exactly as God said uh, it would be. The soldiers then, having scourged him, they put a twisted, a twisted a crown made of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him then a purple robe and they said, Hail, uh, King of the Jews. And so they began to mock him and uh, there was no love lost between uh, the Romans and the Jews. It was a very hard part of the Roman Empire for the uh, Romans to keep in line. And uh, so here is a chance to mock this uh, even self-professed king uh, of the Jews, and they didn't m miss a chance to do that. The crown of thorns and the purple robe, those were expressions of uh, mocking as well, scorning the very idea that he could uh, be considered a king. Pilate had called him earlier uh, the king of the Jews, and so a king has to have a crown, ha, ha, ha. A king has to have a robe, ha, ha, ha. And, and, uh, and, and so they pressed the crown of thorns upon his head. Of course, it's no coincidence that uh, thorns in the human condition and thorns within creation are the product of Adam and Eve's fall there in the uh, uh, Garden of Eden. And so here they make their presence uh, in this even mocking way, but a deliberate reference all the way back then uh, to sin and the consequences of sin is Jesus is in uh, the midst of heading toward the full payment for the forgiveness of our uh, sins. And so they didn't recognize at all uh, how appropriate that crown of thorns was, but uh, we see it clearly in Scripture. And then they proceeded to strike him uh, with their uh, hands. And so I don't, I, I don't know if you have ever um, witnessed um, someone uh, who, uh, someone who is uh, being beaten and to see someone who has lost the ability, Jesus could have defended himself at any moment here, but to see someone who has lost the ability to protect themselves, to keep their arms up, to cover up their head, and uh, somebody just then uh, beats them in that uh, defenseless position. I only saw it one time, I was in high school, and there was a guy that had thought someone else had taken his girlfriend. He was what was known as a hard in those days. He knew how to fight. And the other guy did not know how to fight. And he proceeded to beat him to a pulp in front of uh, half the school student body. And it was an awful, awful thing to witness. And I haven't uh, forgot it uh, to this day. And yet here is this beating that goes on, uh, again, without a peep from Jesus, uh, and, and again, speaking to his uh, sinlessness. Uh, he, uh, and uh, again, is, is a witness to what God had said would be true in Isaiah chapter 53. And so here we sit tonight, we are saved, we are forgiven as Christians, and... Uh, and uh, all of this uh, endured by Jesus that, that we might be in the condition that we are in this evening. I remember um, years and years ago, Maranatha Music put out a song 
and uh, it was entitled instead of me and here here is jesus incurring all of the punishment that my sin deserved and uh, instead of me the chorus of the song is instead of me he took the blame the misery instead of me he suffered silent agony and in that final breath he died alone the sinner's death instead of me and so we read this passage but we have to be careful to insert ourselves into it and to realize why he did that uh, with thoughts of our salvation uh, thoughts of our uh, blessing and the forgiveness of our sins and then Pilate went out again and he said to the Jewish religious leaders I am bringing him out to you that me, you may know that I find no fault in him and so he, he keeps declaring this you told I can't find any any fault within him and he and he makes the declaration and Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe and Pilate said to them behold the man and by now he is uh, completely unrecognizable as a man unrecognizable for who uh, he was if you had seen him preaching uh, or teaching in in any of the courts of the temple the day before looked at his face recognized him said that's a face I will never forget and you were to see him on that morning in this condition you would not recognize him as being the same human being by virtue of, of what he endured even before he went uh, to the cross. Isaiah again prophesying of it in Isaiah 52 verse 14. And just as many were, uh, were, as many were astonished at you speaking to the Messiah, so his visage was marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. And so Pilate seems to be uh, declaring to this bloodthirsty religious Jewish leaders and the mob that they have brought uh, forward uh, isn't this enough uh, punishment to uh, satisfy you and uh, and also he's demonstrating to the Jewish religious leaders that their accusation that somehow they the reason they wanted Pilate initially to put him to death was that he represented a threat to Roman rule and, and here is Pilate showing uh, this man is clearly no threat to Roman rule when what we've done under Roman rule uh, has rendered him in, in this uh, condition. The reaction of the, the, the religious leaders, therefore when the chief priests, uh, both Annas and Caiaphas and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. If Pilate had hoped to find even the smallest amount of mercy or compassion in these men, he did not find it. Uh, the, the ugliest, this, is, this kind of, of thing is ugly anywhere you find it in life. But when you find it in a religious person, and you find this kind of heartlessness listness in a, a religious leader. It's, it's in a special uh, affront. They are absolutely, uh, it, 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 uh, uh, it is to Pilate's surprise, just unwilling to show any compassion to Jesus uh, at all. Again, they know 
They've already tried him twice to find a cause for his death and come up empty. They know he's not worthy of the scourging he's received or the arrest, much less a crucifixion. And yet they dig in uh, in, in this way. And they do so because of the weakness of Pilate. Manipulators will always do that. Once they sense weakness, they've got the person on the run that they need to have on the run to accomplish their means, they will continue until they're stopped. And so often we don't realize that in the modern world, uh, that these kind of people exist, and they exist in very high positions. Uh, around the world, they lead nations. And until they are stopped, uh, they won't stop. And uh, uh, Pilate uh, failed to stop them. And then Pilate answered uh, 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 him, uh, or, or he said to them, you take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. A little late uh, to the game here, uh, on, on this, uh, but he, he, he's in an emotional kind of back and forth. I would uh, guess he's frustrated at the place that he's, he's in, and the Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. Ah, this is not about Rome. This is not about uh, treason. This is not about Jesus being the king of a kingdom that is any, was any threat to Rome at all. And Pilate realizes, as we'll see in a moment here, he realizes immediately what it is that they've done to him. This is all about them wanting to use him to bring capital punishment against Jesus, which they could not uh, do, but for religious reasons. And for the reason that Jesus declared himself to be the Son of God. That's what's in play. The problem for Pilate is, is that he's gone back and forth from inside the praetorium, back outside, inside the praetorium, back outside, praetorium being his official residence. And there is nothing that he has encountered in the person of Jesus that is anything less than majestic. Anything that would contradict the possibility that he could be the Son of God. And so his reaction, therefore, verse 8, when Pilate heard these things, uh, that saying, he was the more afraid. And, uh, and uh, perhaps it having uh, let this go on for so long, what he had allowed himself to be manipulated into, we know from uh, the other three Gospels that uh, there was, a, or, or at least from Matthew's Gospel, that uh, Pilate's wife sent him a message in the middle of all of this and said, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. Don't play any part in this. She, uh, it's a patriarchal society. She can only say so much. She said all that she could say, and, uh, um, and, and, and so Pilate has all of this working on him. And then Pilate, he went again into the praetorium, and he said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. He gave him an answer, and the answer was silence. Jesus had already revealed to him where he was from, about his kingdom, 
about all of these things. He hadn't listened to him the first time. And so why would he repeat himself a second time if you're not going to listen to what I've already uh, uh, said here? And he'd already answered all of this back in chapter uh, 18. And so uh, the question of uh, that uh, Jesus' refusal to answer Pilate's question, where do you come from? Again, it's the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. Uh, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not uh, his mouth as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And, And it would have been of no consequence at all whether Jesus did or did not answer the question at that point. On a physical level, Pilate has lost the battle. Uh, with the Jewish religious leaders uh, uh, that day uh, in, in terms of Jesus' crucifixion being in play at all at this, at this point. And on a spiritual level, everything is unfolding exactly as Isaiah and other prophecies in the Old Testament declared would, would be the case. Pilate is upset with Jesus' silence, verse 10, and said to him, are you not speaking to me? Now, he's not used to that kind of treatment. Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Talk about condemning yourself with your very words. He was in the position, Jesus was, that he was in because of the decision-making that Pilate had made up to this point. The personal responsibility that Pilate bore for Uh, that scene that morning and that scene developing as fully uh, as uh, as it it had and then Jesus did answer him and said you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from uh, above who would could possibly be above the Roman Empire at that time Uh, Only God, only the one that inhabits heaven. And Jesus said, therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Speaking of uh, Annas, the high priest. There are different levels of uh, guilt. Um, We have it even uh, in terms of different crimes. We'll have to the first degree, the second degree, and the, the third degree. And uh, both Jew and, and Gentile are guilty here on the scene. Pilate is guilty. Um, the Jewish religious leaders are guilty. But Jesus does acknowledge that the greater guilt goes to the manipulator, the one who instigated all of this, and that was uh, Annas, uh, the high priest. And from then on, I mean, I have never talked to Jesus face to face. And one day I will. But I never have. I've never had a conversation like this that Pilate had with Jesus. I've never seen his face. I've never heard the tone of his voice. I don't know what that is like. But he did. He did. I mean, in the, in the very presence of, of deity and, and what he must be feeling and experience in, in, in that situation, and, and as he recognized it, he seeks all the more then to release uh, Jesus. But the Jews cried out saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. So now they revert back to the old, this man is a threat to Caesar and to Rome. 
excuse for moving forward. They're very, very uh, quick on their feet. You ever been in a discussion with a manipulator or someone that's trying to manipulate you and they're, they're faster than you? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not that quick on my feet. I got to have time to think through what it is that's happening here and, and, uh, and think it through thoroughly for me to, to get a, a grip on things. And, and, but so often a manipulator can move here and here and there's such confusion and you don't know what is the charge here and all of this and then later on you realize you, what, what has been uh, done to you here. And so they're going to speak out of both sides of their mouths. Uh, they, they sense, they're not going to let anything happen that allows this thing to derail it at uh, at, at this point. And so uh, they are asking Pilate essentially, uh, we are forcing you to choose as a subject uh, under Caesar to either choose your position, your wealth, your power, and, and stay aligned with that, or align yourself with this uh, 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 majestic uh, peasant, so to speak, uh, before you, this Jesus that it is that you're, uh, you're trying. And it's again, very, very clever on their part. And when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out, sat him in the, in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, probably a, a large open area. Uh, that was there associated with the praetorium, and, uh, and, but in Hebrew, uh, Gabbatha. Now, it was the preparation day of the Passover at about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And, uh, and they cried out in response to this, Away with him, away with him, uh, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And Pilate knew the, for these people to acknowledge uh, Caesar as king, uh, uh, given their uh, 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 rebellion against uh, Roman rule, uh, that there wasn't any kind of depth that they wouldn't lower themselves to in order to secure Jesus's uh, uh, crucifixion. They hated uh, Caesar. It's very instructive, I think, to uh, hear the rest of the story concerning uh, Pilate uh, at this point, because in verse 16, Pilate then delivers Jesus to them to be crucified, and so they took uh, Jesus and led him uh, away. And so Pilate, uh, in large part, disappears from the narrative, except associated with the sign that would be put uh, above uh, Jesus' head upon, uh, upon the cross. But in A.D. 35, just a couple years after uh, Pilate ordered the crucifixion of Jesus, he put down in a very brutal fashion a religious pilgrim, pilgrimage that was led by a Samaritan false prophet, and uh, he apparently viewed it as a revolt against uh, Roman rule. Pilate sends a very, very heavy uh, military contingent into the uh, midst of them. Their footmen, there was cavalry that was involved. They intercepted the pilgrims and they slaughtered most of them. Uh, the pilgrims then went to Vitilius, who was the prefect of Syria, Pilate's boss, 
and they reported him in this regard. And uh, then Pilate was ordered to return to Rome in order that he would give an account for his actions before uh, the emperor Tiberius. And as a result of that hearing, he was relieved of his position in Judea and in Jerusalem. And from that moment, he disappeared uh, from uh, history. The point is that just two years uh, uh, after all of these events, He lost all of the power, all of the position, and all of the fame and and the the reputation uh, uh, that that he had uh, accrued and uh, that he had tried to hold on to by compromising his convictions concerning Jesus. Everything he sold Jesus out for, he ended up losing within two uh, years. And what is true of Pilate is going to be true of every single person who rejects Christ for uh, the same reasons. I think two of the most tragic people, uh, uh, personages in the Bible, is Pilate and Judas Iscariot. Pilate sold out Jesus for power. Judas Iscariot sold him out uh, for, for money. And each of them ended up losing what they had compromised Jesus to gain. And if that doesn't happen in this life, it will, it will happen uh, in eternity. But usually it happens in, in this life. And you look at Pilate's name, it is forever. It is forever and only identified with what he did with Jesus Christ. And what is true of Pilate will be true of every single person in human uh, history. What we do with Jesus will be the one thing that will mark us, not only in this life, but all of the life to come. Everything else is going to be uh, forgotten. That is the only identity I'm going to carry into the next life, and that is, what did I do with Jesus? And to fail to come to Him, to reject Him, to appease other people in doing so is ultimately to lose everything I compromise to hold on to. Pilate is a lesson that is so valuable and so needed to us uh, e- even today when our instinct for self-preservation can be so strong when other instincts uh, ought to be nurtured and more important. And so Jesus was then delivered, verse 16, to be crucified, and he bore his cross. He, bearing his cross, went out to a place called uh, the place of the skull, which uh, is called in Hebrew uh, Golgotha. We know from the other three Gospels uh, that apparently as he's trying to make his way uh, carrying uh, the cross, or at least a portion of the cross, uh, to Calvary uh, for his crucifixion, that in his brutalized physical condition, uh, the, the Roman guard that was uh, associated with it uh, immediately recognized this. He's not going to be successful here. And, and he uh, called a, a, an order to Jew by the name of Simon of Cyrene, who's passing by, uh, to come and to carry the cross uh, for Jesus. All of it a picture of um, Isaac and Abraham, uh, Isaac carrying the wood, to his own uh, potential sacrifice. God will supply himself a sacrifice. 
and all of it, the fulfillment of that Old Testament uh, picture. And so uh, Golgotha uh, uh, named that uh, as, as a, uh, because of the, the, the characteristic of the site, that it is the place uh, of the skull. And you go to Israel today and you go to what is known as Gordon's Calvary, and you can see uh, the, the image of a face of a skull in the place where they did the crucifixions right outside of the city gates in uh, in uh, Jerusalem. It's interesting in verse 18 here that uh, as he was crucified, uh, they crucified him at Golgotha and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. And so Jesus, uh, the two thieves, and they were guilty of more than being thieves. They were guilty of capital crimes in order to be uh, crucified. Uh, they were uh, crucified at the same time of Jesus. It's entirely possible that both of these men were uh, a part, uh, companions of Barabbas, the murderer, the insurrectionist, the thief that was released uh, at the request of the religious Jews uh, instead of, uh, of Jesus. And uh, also entirely possible that Jesus ends up being crucified on the cross that was intended for uh, Barabbas. And so there they are on either side of Jesus. Again, this is a fulfillment of the Old Testament uh, a prophetic portrait. Uh, Isaiah 53 again, verse 12, he was numbered with the transgressor, uh, transgressors uh, in, in his death. And so here he is now uh, being uh, crucified and Pilate uh, wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. So Rome crucified people openly. They crucified them in the most public place that they could crucify them. Jesus was crucified on what was a main road in those days. Uh, typically, when somebody was going to be uh, crucified and they were going to carry their cross, a Roman soldier would walk before them, uh, the person bearing the cross, and it would have the charges for which the person was being uh, uh, charged with, guilty of and being crucified for, in order to produce a, deterrent, a deterrence for crime. In other words, to communicate Crime doesn't pay. This is where crime ends up uh, under the, within the Roman uh, Empire. And so this was the accusation uh, that, that Pilate has carried before Jesus and puts above him for everyone to read. Uh, and here he is, he's being uh, crucified uh, for being the king of the Jews. Jesus allows his crucifixion to occur. But just as he wouldn't answer questions that Pilate asked and the Jewish religious leaders asked, questions that were unworthy of an answer, when they asked him about uh, the fact that he was the Son of God, where he came from, he answered those questions. And, and, and here you have Jesus being crucified, but even in the sign that gets put up above him, he allows himself to be crucified, but only when the accusation for which he's being crucified is correctly placed above his head. 
He is being crucified for being uh, the king uh, of the Jews. And Pilate had this uh, written, and many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, a very busy place, certainly very busy related to the Passover. And it was written in Hebrew, the language of the Jews, uh, Greek, the language of the common man in those days, and then Latin, uh, the language of the powerful and, uh, and the wealthy, the language of, of commerce. And therefore the chief priests, when they saw this sign, they said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but uh, he said, I am uh, the king uh, of, uh, of the Jews. And Pilate, uh, finally uh, discovering something of a backbone here, uh, he answered and said, what I have written, uh, I have uh, written. And so he, uh, he dismisses their final uh, call to him. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts to each uh, soldier apart and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. And so apparently a, 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 a valuable uh, garment. In those days, if you had, if you had if you had a change of clothes, you were doing good. Uh, we go and open up our closet and here's shirts for a dollar from all over the world or whatever, you know, and it's a, a, a hyperbole, but how cheap this stuff is today. And so they wouldn't let the clothes go to waste and have, it, have them be buried with the person. Uh, it was worth something. And so the soldiers, as a part of their pay, they would, uh, they would bargain then for uh, the garments. And they uh, said, therefore, among themselves, let's not tear this garment, uh, uh, and, but cast lots for it. Uh, uh, who shall it be that the scripture might be fulfilled, uh, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. And again, the fulfillment of Scripture, but this time from uh, Psalm 22. And then in really one of the most uh, tender uh, scenes here in, in this whole, I mean, just, you just imagine yourself in the middle of this thing and what's going on, the frenzy, the uh, the blood all over the place, the injustice of it, the, the weeping, the brutality, the hardness of heart that what is happening there. And as Jesus is hanging on the cross, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, Mary, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother, and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing by, that is the Apostle John. The Apostle John was at the scene of the crucifixion, the only one of the disciples who was. But, uh, and then Jesus said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he's not talking about himself. He's, he's referencing now Mary to the Apostle John and saying, this is who is going to look after you for the rest of your life. Who's going to take what would be normally my responsibility in your life, in your old age, and to take care of you, especially the fact that Joseph was, is gone from the scene and had been for a long time. And then 
and, uh, and then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her uh, into his own uh, home. And so um, uh, John, uh, the apostle John is the only one, church history tells us, the only one of the 12 who would die a natural death. All of the other apostles would be martyred. And so if you're going to de- uh, commit the care of your mother uh, to someone, then it would be John uh, who would be able to take care of her all the way through her, her life in, in, in this world. So you think about here he is, he's bearing the sins of the entire world, and yet he took the time to address the care uh, of, of his uh, mother. And uh, in all of this, Jesus, you might remember when they accused him of coming to destroy the law. He said, I haven't come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill the law of, of Moses. And the law of Moses and even the Ten Commandments commanded, honor your father and your mother. And so he fulfilled uh, every command of the law of Moses. He fulfills this command from the cross. And, and, uh, uh, and this speaks of Jesus just modeling for us, expressing in his own life, just his love for the family unit, his respect for parents and parental authority and the responsibility to take care of them. Fulfilling uh, the law of Moses all the way to his, uh, his final uh, breath. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, Uh, that the scripture might be fulfilled, uh, he said, I thirst. uh, uh, Psalm 22 tells us this is the only thing that Jesus says on the cross that addresses his physical need or his physical condition. It's the only thing that comes out of his mouth that lets us know what he is feeling in experiencing Uh, the crucifixion in his life, and that is his thirst. Uh, Psalm 22 writes of the fact that the Messiah's uh, tongue, the thirst would be so great that his tongue would cleave to his jaw, would make him difficult uh, difficult for him uh, to speak. Imagine having, we're talking about uh, uh, spring of the year in the Middle East, so it can be a, a warmer time, and, uh, and being crucified, having been through the night, having been through the morning that he was in, and, and the uh, thirst that a person can, can develop, the loss of blood, the thirst that that produces, and beyond all of whatever might be involved in the physical pain of the crucifixion, uh, it is his thirst that he asked to be relieved in some way. And then a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. Sour wine was the drink of the poor person in that day. And so uh, that was what was offered to him in relief of his thirst. Uh, you might remember that uh, in, in other gospels, it talks about something being offered to him containing gall, which was kind of an ancient painkiller that was offered to him while on the cross. He refused that. Uh, 
Uh, he, he, he did not want to be uh, under the influence of anything other than what he was in the middle of. But here, this is something different. This is just uh, the uh, sour, uh, sour wine being offered to him, and it was put on hyssop and then put to his mouth. Hyssop takes us all the way back to the first Passover. This is happening during the Passover. Jesus is fulfilling uh, the Passover and how it was that a lamb without spot and blemish was to then, uh, for each family, was to be sacrificed. And then the blood was to be applied to the doorposts and the lintel of the house by means of hyssop. And so all the references going uh, right back here, un unknown to those who are participating in, in all of this, uh, and, uh, but all of it pointing to what is really, really happening. We rarely, when we see anything in life, do we really know what's happening. We would never know what was really happening in the crucifixion of Jesus, the import of it, the significance of every aspect of it, except the Bible reveals it uh, uh, to us in this wonderful way. And so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, uh, it is finished. He did not say, I am finished. He's not even remotely finished, but it is finished. Tetelestai, which means paid in, uh, paid in full, and, uh, uh, and, and speaking of our salvation, uh, the price that needed to be paid for the forgiveness of our sins, uh, the, the, uh, the, the blood of the lamb without spot or without uh, blemish, without sin now, uh, Jesus' death uh, provided for that salvation, that finished uh, uh, salvation. And so, bowing his head, he gave up his uh, spirit. And so, you might remember that Jesus, when, when uh, he was, all of this was going on r related to uh, these things are starting to build toward all of these things happening and uh, uh, happening in his life. He was prophesying the fact that he would be crucified and he would die and he would be buried and he would rise again uh, on the third day. And Jesus also uh, communicated that uh, he said, no man takes my life. I lay it down of myself. If Jesus did not dismiss his spirit 2,000 years ago on that cross, you could go to Jerusalem today and find him on that cross. Rome did not kill him. The Jewish religious leaders did not kill him. It was him that dismissed his spirit in order that we might be saved and out of a heart of love for mankind and a heart of, of love uh, for, uh, for us. And therefore, because it was the preparation day, that is for the Passover, that the body should not remain upon the cross, um, uh, uh, on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that the, the legs of Jesus and the two thieves that were crucified with, with him might be broken and they might be taken away. And so the law of Moses spoke about the fact that no one was to be left on a tree uh, or, you know, having uh, uh, incurred um, this kind of, of punishment and be left overnight in that condition. And so they're, they're wanting to adhere to the law of Moses here. Uh, with crucifixion, um, it was intended to be a slow death, a slow death by means of 
uh, suffocation. Uh, the, and, and this was the intent, so that you could walk by for hours, you could walk by for days in the course of your coming and going out of Jerusalem, and then see who was still up on the cross and alive. And some people lasted a very, very long uh, period of time. And when they wanted somebody to die, especially quickly, they would send out the, the Roman soldiers who would then break both bones in their lower leg. I think it's the fibia and the tibula. Break both of them with a hammer. And now the, the, uh, uh, the person on the cross would be unable to push against the ledge that would always be provided in order to push up and fill their lungs with air. And so it would hasten death uh, would occur very, very quickly, and then the Jews wanted that to happen. They didn't want them up there for days. Uh, they wanted them to be dead before the celebration uh, of the Passover. And then the soldiers, when they came, they broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with Jesus. Imagine uh, being a Roman soldier, and that's one of your jobs. I don't know how you live with yourself. I don't know how you do that day in and day out and look in the mirror and say, I'm a normal person. And uh, I mean, that's just got to break you in ways that even if you don't even know it's breaking you, what it would turn you into. I'm going to, I'm going to while they're in this condition, I'm going sh- to, I'm going to shatter every bone in their legs underneath their, their knees in order to hasten their death. I mean, you can imagine the, the howls uh, of, of pain uh, that, that 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 would uh, produce. And when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. And because he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And so, uh, and then one of the soldiers then pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water uh, came out. And so the heart, of course, is there. It has a pericardium around it that has uh, liquid or fluid um, uh, in, inside of it. And, uh, and, and so some people uh, believe that, that when that, that spear was thrust up under the rib cage to then pierce the heart, these were experts in death. This is what they did every single day. They knew how to pierce a heart. Uh, to uh, uh, produce death or to assure that death had already occurred. Here they're wanting to uh, uh, guarantee that he is already dead. And when water and blood comes forth, there is the idea that um, his heart perhaps had, had burst even in the course of things here and, uh, and the blood mixing with the, the, the fluid of the pericardium and then that uh, coming forth. But at the, at the very least, what uh, that thrusting there of uh, 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 the piercing uh, of, of his heart with the spear made uh, clear that he was dead. He wasn't swooned. Uh, he wasn't in some kind of a, you know, uh, passed out condition as uh, skeptics sometimes uh, like to uh, to point out, they knew how to leave somebody dead, and, and, and that's what they did, and they knew Jesus was, was dead. And he who has seen, John speaking of himself, has testified, and his testimony is true. And he knows that, uh, that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. 
And then he said, for these things, the, the failure to break Jesus' bones while upon the cross to hasten his death, and then the piercing uh, of, uh, of his side uh, by, by the spear, uh, both of those things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, and again, another Scripture says, they shall look on him whom they have pierced. And so uh, you, uh, you look at John here, and uh, 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 under the law of Moses, a, uh, as he's looking at this scene, he sees the Roman soldiers approaching Jesus' body on the cross. And he knows the Old Testament passage. He knows enough about the Passover uh, that uh, the Passover lamb uh, uh, is disqualified for being a Passover lamb for sin if it has spot or if it has blemish or if it has a broken bone. And so he sees this Roman soldiers now coming toward Jesus, sees them break the bones of either man on each side uh, of Jesus, has to be uh, wondering and assuming that they're going to break Jesus' bones uh, as well, which would disqualify him in that way according to uh, the book of Exodus. And yet they don't. They don't do it. And then instead they pierce him, a fulfillment of the prophecy concerning the fact that Messiah's body would be pierced in Zechariah chapter 12, uh, verse 10. The fulfillment of those two prophecies occurred within a minute's time on, on that, that scene. And so imagine if you were asked to sit down today and to... Uh, write down the specifics of someone's death a thousand years in the future with 100% uh, accuracy. We don't even know, and, and yet that's what God has done through the prophets. We don't even know that there will be another th thousand years of human history. Uh, we don't even know uh, the means by which uh, people will be executed a thousand years from now, whether they will even execute for capital crimes a thousand years uh, from now. We, there's no way you could know the laws uh, in force, and, and, uh, and yet here Isaiah, Zechariah prophesy of it, uh, a thousand years with Zechariah and, and 740 before with, with, um, uh, with, uh, with Isaiah here, and they've, it's absolute uh, perfection. And I, I just think that fulfilled prophecy is one of the strongest witnesses to the divine inspiration of scriptures. Nobody can do this except God, who views human history in the present uh, tense. There is no past, present, and future at all for him. So you put yourself in John's place as he's watching all of this. And uh, as he watches the Roman soldiers then approach Jesus' body intent upon uh, breaking the bones in his legs, he realizes that if they're broken, he's disqualified as the Lamb of God who can take away the sin of the world. He holds his breath as they come to Jesus' body on the cross and, and uh, they find Jesus dead, and they don't break his legs. Uh, uh, but the Scriptures also taught that the Messiah's body would be pierced 
And so John thinks about all of this. He holds his breath again because if they've already determined him to be so dead that they have failed to break his uh, bones in order to uh, accomplish it, then why in the world would they feel a need to pierce his body to confirm what they already knew? I mean, he is either alive and you break his legs, or he's dead and you don't pierce his side. You can expect one or the other to be fulfilled, but not both of them to be fulfilled, and not within a minute of one another. And yet here you have wonder of wonders as they walk away from Jesus' body on the cross. Both of the prophecies had been perfectly uh, fulfilled. The prophecies of Zechariah, the prophecy of Isaiah perfectly wed and perfectly met uh, in Jesus. Such a marvel of, uh, of, of God's um, foreknowledge and God's revelation and such a witness to, again, the divine inspiration of the Bible and of, uh, of uh, the, the, all of the events concerning uh, Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. We will stop there in verse 37, and we'll pick up 38, which in verse 38 next time um, as we head in then to his, his resurrection. And I, I want us to, I don't want us to move in, in chapter 20 to move right into his resurrection without having, um, without a context to move from. And that is his burial. And so we'll pick that up. Um, next time.